All right, how we doing? Doing good? Good, good, man. You sound good. You look good. Man, it's a good day. It's a beginning of summer, which means a couple things. One, kids are out of school, and that's always fun. Pools are open, that kind of thing. The other thing it means is it's hot. And uh, it has been hot for the last several weeks. And man, I'm telling you, when it comes to summer, sun's out, gun's out, right? And, uh, and, and speaking of hot, let me, let me tell you about uh, what's going on with me just for a second. And um, I don't know if you got that joke. Did you get that joke? Um, totally kidding, totally kidding. Um, uh, I'm just hot because I sweat a lot, all right? And, um, but in the summertime, I, if you were here last year, I kind of laid this out here for you, but just in case you weren't, I'm gonna kind of recap quickly for you. But for, for me as a, as a pastor to have a good rhythm of rest and work and all that kind of stuff, uh, we, we uh, told the church last year that what our board came up with is for me to, to not preach more than 40 weekends a year. Uh, and so the other 10 or 11 to 12 weekends, depending upon you know, how it falls at the end of the year, uh, six of those I will be here but not teaching. Uh, and then six of those, I won't be here. And so there's some time for vacation in there and also some time to get away and pray and just seek the Lord. And so every summer, I'm taking a, kind of an extended break. And we started this last summer, and it was great, and it went well, and everybody responded well. And we've got great teachers here at our church. And, and that's co uh, coming up again in the next couple weeks. And so I'll continue to teach this week, next week, and then I'll start uh, a multi-week break. And, and some of that will be spent uh, just vacation time with my family. And then the last sub, uh, couple weeks of that will be spent just praying and seeking God and, and seeking his will and direction for our church. And so I want to tell you about that so that you'll know that that's coming up. Up and we'll still teach through the letter to the Romans. In fact, we'll get into chapter seven. We'll get into chapter eight. And, and I got to be honest with you, I was looking at it. I'm like, man, I, I really want to teach that. Um, but we've got great teachers. Pastor Chad will be teaching. Corey, Pastor David will be teaching uh, over the next several weeks. And so it's going to be really, really good. So I want to make sure that, you know, as you take breaks, which is good, and you should, and you should take vacation, and you should take time off just to pray and reflect. And, you know, that's that whole Sabbath rest. And so as you do that, stay connected in the life of our church as well, uh, especially if you serve. You know, it's good to take a break, but jump right back in and you can give online. We talked about that. Uh, so just staying connected into the life of our church because ministry still happens, whether I'm here or not. And so that's coming up in a couple weeks. And so I just want to let you know about that. We'll talk a little bit more about it next week as well uh, so that you can pray for us, pray for me for my family to kind of, again, to uh, rest and then also to, to hear from the Lord about the future and direction and vision of our church. And we'll come back and then we've got our, our next three to five gathering for all of our leaders. We do that several times a year uh, in July. And so coming back for that and, and talking more about just what we feel like God is leading us into. Uh, and so I wanted to let, let you know that that's coming up and then so that you could also pray and, and kind of join together with us in that time. All right. So speaking of this letter to the Romans, we're in Romans chapter six. If you got a Bible, open that up. Uh, we started in Romans chapter six last week and we celebrated baptism. How about those baptisms, man? 40 people got baptized last week. Goodness, man, that is, that is just an amazing thing. And um, I don't ever wanna take that lightly. It's just seeing kids, students, adults, uh, man, just an amazing time. And so we kicked off the first four ver uh, verses of chapter six last week talking about baptism and what baptism is a picture of. And so we're gonna jump back into verse four in chapter six this week, and then we're gonna pick up verse five, which is really where our text for this week starts, and we'll go down to verse 14, all right? So let's pray before we jump into the text as always and ask God to bless our time together. 
Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing here. Uh, and God, we don't take that lightly. It is a miracle to be a part of you saving people. And so we thank you for that. And God, I pray as we open your word today that that miracle would take place, that people would come to know Jesus, that you would open their eyes to see the truth about who he is and the truth about who we are. And God, for those of us who have trusted Christ. I pray that you would continue to build our faith through the power of the preaching of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit, God. And so as we tackle this now, God, would you help me to do it faithfully in Jesus name? Amen. So verse four, this is where we ended last week. And I'm going to start there again, because verse five starts with the word four. And you know, that means that they're connected together. So verse four says this, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, I highlighted this last week, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so those words there are important. In order that is a purpose statement, just as as a comparative clause, and then we too applies directly to us. So Paul's arguing here about the fact, and he's using baptism as an illustration and saying when we trusted Christ, we died to our old self or our old self died with him in order that or for the purpose of in place of our old self, there might be a new self. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, if you grew up in a Baptist church, you probably heard those phrases used before, particularly during a baptism, and they got it right out of this verse. Buried with him uh, in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. That is a visual representation, physically speaking, of what's already happened to us spiritually. And so Paul is talking here, using that as an illustration of saying, hey, this is what's true about you. This is what's true about you. And he's answering the question at the beginning of chapter six is if grace abounds, then we just keep on sinning. And he answers that by saying no. And the reason why is because the old you died with Christ and now a new you is alive and the new you can walk in newness of life. And so there's a newness to your life now. He says in Corinthians, there is a new creation. And so the new you walks in a different way than the old you. So that's his argument. Now he's going to continue saying that or continue arguing why that's the case. Look at verse five. He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now the word, that word there united is a very important word. And even though it occurs in the English text twice, it only occurs in the Greek text once. And that's important because he's saying there's, there's, there's not... You can't be united in his death and not united in his resurrection. And you can't be united in his resurrection without being united in his death. And basically what he's saying, without death, there is no life, which that sounds weird to us. But if you were united with him when he died, the good news is death didn't hold him. He came back to life again. And so if he came back to life again, you've come back to life again. And so if you're united with him in one, you're united with him in both. And what's very cool to me is this word here, death. And you're like, why is that a cool word? Here's why it's cool, because it's culturally cool right now. This word here, death, is a word that you knew if you've seen any Marvel movies here lately. You just didn't know you knew it. Literally, it's the Greek word thanatos. For real. It's where the villain in Marvel's Avengers, Thanos, gets his name. See, you knew Greek, didn't know it, right? 
It can all be Greek to you. And so his name, Thanos, literally means death or the presence of death. And, and the idea of it is he spreads death. But he's the villain, and so it, his name is used in a way that he's immortal. He's, he's immune to death, but he brings death. Which if you've seen the Marvel movies, you understand that. Because so, when he showed up and snapped his fingers, everybody disappeared, right? And, and so the point here of what he's saying is in a similar way, again, use that as a visual illustration. That's the illustration of what happened at baptism. In Christ, your old self vanished, died. Not because of Thanos, but because of Jesus. Sorry, front row. That's why it's good to be in Jasper. You're like spit doesn't come through the screen. And so that's, that's awesome. Um, the old you, we like to have fun around here, man. Come on. The old you is dead. It's dead. It's gone because Christ died. But the good news is if you're united with him in his death and you're united with him in his resurrection, what that means is there's now a new you. There's a new you. And now he explains how that works. Look at verse six. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that, another purpose statement here, the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that, another purpose statement, we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Don't you know that dead people don't struggle with sin anymore? When we moved here to Georgia almost 10 years ago now, which is crazy, January would be 10 years, man. Woo, I look so young when I got here, and you guys have not aged me well. Um, but when we moved here, and we started you know, driving around, you see all these little country churches, and they're so cool, and they're so amazing looking, and right next to it is a cemetery. Um, and so you know, back in the day, that's where it was. It just all happened kind of right there, from death, burial, life, marriage, everything. All, the church was really kind of the center part of the whole you know, epicenter of human life here. And, and when you drive by an old church and you see the cemetery there, there's a couple things that you can know. Those people are dead, right? And you always make jokes about that. You know, they're dying to get in there. And, um, and so his argument here is, you know what's one thing that's true about those people? Not only are they dead, but they don't struggle with sin anymore. They don't struggle with sin anymore because dead people don't sin. And Paul's arguing that way and saying, that's what happened to you in Christ. When Christ died, you died. And now, therefore, you are no longer enslaved to sin. Now, here's what's very interesting. And I, and I talk about this a lot because when I got saved, I was so confused about this. I was confused because when I got saved, I thought I would never sin anymore. And, you know, I didn't sin for like a couple weeks and then I did. And then I thought I had to get saved again. But here's the argument that Paul is saying, and we'll get into this more when we get to chapter seven. He's not saying that those people who are now in Christ never sin again. What he's saying is those people who are now in Christ have the ability to not sin anymore. And again, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about Adam and we talked about Christ and how Adam and Christ are two very unique human beings in human history because both of them had God as their father and both of them had the ability to sin or not sin, to die or not die. But yet Adam chose to sin and so therefore he chose to die. But Jesus chose to not sin, but he chose death because he was reversing the choice that Adam made. 
And now, because of Christ, we're no longer in Adam, we're in Christ. And so the power that Christ had when he beat death is now available to us. And so now, if you're in Christ, you have the power to not sin. Before Christ, you didn't have the power to not sin. Why? Because he uses this word here, you're enslaved. You're a slave to sin. What that means very simply is this. Whether you wanted to or not, you couldn't say no to your passions. You, you could have tried, but you just couldn't say no. And this is where people say, well, this is just how I feel, so this is what I do. That's right. That's what he argues in Romans chapter 1, because that is how old people think. Not old people, but you, oh, those of us over 40. I'm talking about natural, selfish human people. We all feel like we are slaves to our emotions. We're slaves to our passions because we are. Just however we feel is how we act. And people say, why'd you act that way? Because that's how I felt. Well, just because you felt that way doesn't mean you should act that way, right? But see, enslaved people, that's just how they act. Why? Because they're enslaved to it. They don't have a choice. But now he's saying, but the old self was crucified with Christ. And now, therefore, you and I, if we are in Christ, we are no longer enslaved to sin. So I want you to understand something. There's a difference between being a sinner and being enslaved to sin. There's a difference. Those enslaved to sin can't help but sin. But being a sinner who's saved by grace now has the ability to not sin. Why? Because you have a new master. You have a new Lord. You have a new you. You have a new life. And that is now all available to you because you are in Christ. And so he's going to use dominion language here in a second. That's kingdom language. That's power language. That's authority language. And in Colossians chapter 2, if you just want a quick commentary, I'm not going to turn there, but you can just write down Colossians chapter 2. Paul uses the very exact same language that he's talking about here where he says we were buried with him in baptism. How? Because he took our legal written code of sin, our body of sin, and he nailed it to the cross. And when he nailed it to the cross, he died. And when he came back to life again, he canceled its power. And Paul says in Colossians 2, he disarmed the rulers and the powers and the principalities of this age. So what that means is Jesus is now in charge. And if you were in him, you and I now have dominion, power over sin. We're no longer enslaved to it. Why? Because we've died to it. So it doesn't mean that you don't struggle with sin. It doesn't mean you don't have besetting sins that Hebrew talks about. What it means now is you have power over it. You're not enslaved to it. So your relationship with it has changed. It was true about your old nature, but now in Christ, your new nature, your new self, it is not true that you just have to keep on sinning. You don't have to keep on sinning because Christ died and he rose again. And when he did that, he beat the power that held you in change. So now you and I have a choice to not sin. And I don't know about you, but that's really good news to me. Because there's so many times in my life where I feel like I don't have a choice to not sin. It's just who I am naturally. And I just give in to who I am naturally. But you want to know why that is? Because we don't know. 
It's very interesting to me in verse six, he says, we know, we know that our old self was crucified with him. We know. That word there, know, there's two different words in the Greek for know. One is just to know information, and another is to know experientially. And so you know it by experiencing it. So the reason why a lot of us who have trusted Christ still live under the power of sin is because we don't know experientially the power that is now available to us when we believed. But Paul talks about we know we believe. And what do we know and what do we believe? What we know is our old self died with him. And now what we believe is our new self is not enslaved to the passions of our old self. Why? Because Christ's power beat it. Look at the next two verses. This is how he argues, verse eight and nine. Now, if we have died with Christ, listen to this, we believe. If we have died, we believe that all, that we will also live with him. He uses the word again. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. There's that word I was telling you about, dominion. That's rule and reign, like that's kingdom language. Death no longer has dominion over him. Why? Verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. We know, we believe. What do we know and what do we believe? We know and believe that Christ died in our place for our sins. The, our old self was crucified with him. And now there's a new self in its place. So in these verses, I, I, want you to, I don't want you to miss this because it's gonna be important to understand in verse 11. He's describing what we are. Here's what's true. What's true is when he died, you died because you were united with him. But when he rose again, you rose again because you were united with him. That's true. That's what you are. Now, I'm saying all of this and you're thinking, man, if that's true, if that's what I am, then why can't I have freedom over sin? Wouldn't you want to know, man, if that's true, then how do I live in light of that? Anybody want to know that? Like, if that's true about me, if I'm dead to sin, if there's a new self and the new self is not enslaved like the old self, how do I know and believe that? Paul answers the question. Look at verse 11. It's almost like he thought we would need to know this. Verse 11. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now don't miss this. Verse 11 is the first command that we see in this chapter. The other verses don't talk about what we need to do. The other verses talk about what Jesus did. Verse 11 says, now here's what we do in light of what Jesus did. So here's what I want you to hear Paul saying in verse 11, act what you are. Act what you are. What are you? You're dead to sin. You're alive to God. Act that way. Notice he doesn't say, make yourselves dead to sin. Make yourself alive to God. Because if he said that, it wouldn't be good news. It'd be good advice. And this is how most people treat Christianity. 
This is why when people say, are you a Christian? I'm trying to be. <laughs> Whether you are or you're not. That's like saying, are you human? I'm trying to be. <laughs> We're either you're human or an alien. Like, what are you, right? Like, you're either, you either are or you're not. And yes, you're human because you're breathing, you have lungs, you have DNA, you have your own heartbeat, you have all that stuff, and you had nothing to do with your birth. Thank God, right? Because that would be very traumatic if you did. And so you had nothing to do about it. You had nothing to do with it. Someone else acted on your behalf and made you. Here's what he's arguing. The exact same thing happened when you were born again. You had nothing to do with it. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2. But God made you, anybody know the next word? Oh, there we go. That was a swing. That was a home run, but I'm not a lefty. So made you. So let me ask the question, who does the making? God, that's good news, my friends. I want you to get excited about it because I'm gonna get excited about it. You don't make yourself alive. God made you alive. You just believe that God made you alive. And when you believe that God made you alive, you're made alive. Here's what Paul's saying. He's not saying make yourself alive. He is saying consider yourself alive. Count yourself alive. This word here, consider, this word here, count, it's kind of funny because it's really a, a word that rednecks have robbed, but it's really a deep word. It's the word reckon. <laughs> now, I didn't grow up here in the South, but I grew up in the Southwest, which was Texas, and, and very similar cultures, again, very redneck cultures and say, are you going to do that? I reckon. It's like when someone said, you know, what about this? I'm fixing to. My mom hated that. What are you about to fix? I'm about to mama, right? I'm fixing to. I reckon. What is the word reckon? It means think, consider, count. So here's what he's saying. Think that you are that. Act that you are that. I love how John Piper says it. He says, act the miracle. Act out the miracle. You don't make yourself alive. The Holy Spirit does that when he opens your eyes and you respond in faith. You don't make yourself alive. You had nothing to do with that. But when you're made alive, now you can act out what you are. See, when you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you're acting what you are. This is why when you have kids, you don't have to teach them to sin. They do it naturally. Just leave them alone and they will say mine. Like the birds on Nemo, right? Mine, 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 mine. Kids do it naturally. Why? Because that's what they are. Listen, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Sinning is a natural outgrowth of our nature. Our nature is a sinner. So we sin. No one has to train us to do that. We act what we are. But here's what Paul's saying. You're not that anymore though. Christ made you alive. And when Christ made you alive, you can now act what you are, which is alive. So he says, consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God. The title of today's message is this. Consider yourself dead and alive. Consider yourselves dead and alive. Now, two parts to this, both very important. First, he says, consider yourselves dead to sin. 
Why? Because you are dead to sin. You are not enslaved by sin anymore. This is what he was just arguing. So consider yourselves dead. So when you're in a situation and the old you would normally act a certain way, and we just know this from, from science and human behavior. Whenever we're being, uh, whenever we're being raised, however we ra were raised in our families, if we were raised in dysfunctional homes, then we learned how to respond in dysfunctional ways. Because whenever you do something one time, your brain cuts a neurological trail, you know, you know, makes a pattern to say, when we get in this circumstance, this is how we act. And so if you learned in a circumstance where we just blow up and get angry at everybody and you're like a skunk, you spray everybody else and they stink, but you feel better. If you learned that, then you just did it because that's what you are. But now in Christ, you don't have to do that anymore because you're not a skunk. You got a Holy Spirit now. You with me? Because he says you don't have to obey its passions anymore. You don't have to obey the desires of your old self. Now there's a new you and, and when you're in that, and this is hard work. Again, God saves you and he sanctifies you and he saves you right away, but he sanctifies you not right away, but over time. It's not overnight, it's over time. You're saved in an instance, but you're sanctified over, over time. And so what happens is when you walk into that circumstance and they old you and your brain says, this is how we act. When a stressful situation, we call up our two best friends, Ben and Jerry. This is how we act. But now the Holy Spirit in you says, no, 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 no. That's the old you, homie. Consider yourselves dead to that. You don't have to act that way anymore because that ain't you. That's the old you. Would the old you want to do that? Would the old you want to blast them? Would the old you want to explode? Would the old you want to give into that? Yes, the old you would. But guess what? There's a new you. And the new you doesn't have to do that now because the new you's got the power of the Holy Spirit living in you to be alive to God. So you have to act what you are. Dead to sin. You are dead to it. But you have to act what you are. So when your old self, your flesh, the Bible calls it, flares up, you say, I'm dead to that. That ain't me. But here's where most Christians fail. And I failed at this for so long. You stop there. You just act dead to sin. And, and, and especially right after you get saved, you're, you're super excited. I'll never forget after I got saved, I, I threw away all my secular CDs, right? I'm like, I'm gonna get rid of it all. And Christian music was horrible back then. And so all we had was DC talk and like Petra, right? And so I tried that for a while. And then I'm like, I can hear my old, old music now, right? And so like in the beginning, I'm like, I'm dead to that. But, but then I didn't really replace it with much because we didn't have much. And so I'd naturally go back to what was comfortable to me. But what we miss so often in this process of sanctification is we miss the fact that God is not just telling us to consider ourselves dead to something. He's also telling us to consider ourselves alive to something. See, most people think that walking with Jesus is just a long list of things we don't do now. And, and let's be straight. A lot of people don't come to Christ because they're like, oh, you mean I can't do that now? I can't sleep around like I want. I can't do what I want. No, because your body ain't yours anymore. Well, if it's a long list of don'ts, I ain't signing up. 
But that's only half of what Paul says here. He says, yes, consider yourselves dead to sin. And in just a second, he's going to, or by just a second, I mean next week, he's going to argue, what fruit were you getting from the things that you were ashamed about anyway? Like the things that you want, that your natural self wants to do, was it really producing the fruit that you wanted? No, but why do you keep doing it? Because it feels comfortable to you. But see, the gospel is not just he made you dead. You're dead to that. You're missing the whole other part. He made you alive. Now, walking with Jesus is not just I say no to this stuff, but it's also I say yes to this stuff. And what is it that I'm saying yes to? The things that bring life. Look, look at how he argues. Look at the next verse, verse 13. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. I love this language here and you don't quite get it in the English, but the word here members was referring to body parts. So the Bible just said, don't present your body parts to unrighteous things. That's dead talk. Like consider yourselves dead to that. But the Bible also said, but present your body parts as instruments for righteousness. Now, I don't like that word instrument, although it's a valid translation, but it also means something else. It means weapons. I don't know if it's, I'm a dude or what, but I like the word weapons far better than I like instruments. I don't shoot deer with instruments. I shoot them with weapons, right? In the summer, sun's out, guns out. I didn't fight people with instruments. I fought, I fought them with weapons, right? It's illegal in four states, right? Welcome to the gun show. Men say stupid stuff like this, don't we? Because we judge our manhood based upon how much we can bench press and how much we can push your face in, right? And so we talk about our arms already as weapons. But here's what Paul says. He says, listen, you used to use those weapons for unrighteous things. Now use those weapons for righteous things. He is not saying don't use the weapons. He's saying use the weapons now for righteous things. And this is why, and I gotta be, this is why a lot of men in particular don't serve in the church, don't do as much as women. Women, you're just better and more holy than us. But the other part is most men think they're saved into a spineless, soft Christianity. Where most men think that being a Christian now is I just tuck my shirt in and wear a Bible cover and cuss in my mind. Not out loud, just in my mind. That's not the essence. God is calling men and women to war, to use the members of their bodies as weapons of righteousness. And so don't just see walking with Jesus as a list of don'ts. See Jesus walking with Jesus as a whole big list of do's. Listen, when's the last time you put yourself in harm's way in Christ's name? I'll never forget when I, when I went on my first mission trip. I was a freshman in college, 19 years old. It was the first time I flew. And I know Mother's Day was a few weeks ago. And I'll never forget, I was on the phone with my mom and she was like, you know, I really wanted to be with you when you flew for the first time. And I was 
stupid and snooty. And I said, mom, you had 19 years, right? And so <laughs> God bless my mama. Um, and I was flying from, from Dallas, Texas to the state of Washington, which is the state of Washington. It's like third world out there, right? And so flying in the state of Washington where they are hostile to Christianity. And my mom was so nervous. And she said, I wanted to be with you. You know, what if this, I don't know what's going to happen. And I can't believe I said this to my mama. Don't say this to your mamas. But I said, mom, if I'm supposed to die on this plane, I'm going to die. Being on a plane to Washington has nothing to do with it because I can be driving my car in my cul-de-sac and, you know, it ain't going to end well. So if I'm going to die one way or the other, I would just rather, and I know I'm crazy, I would just rather go after something dangerous like telling people about Jesus. And that's what I'm called to. So, so here's what I want you to hear me say. Here's what I want you to hear me say. The devil tells you two lies. On either side of the road is a ditch. Two lies. The first lie is this. That's just who you are. That's just who you are. There's no way Christ could save you. There's no way Christ could love you. Just forget it. That's a lie. Because Christ died once for all. Are you in the all category? Okay, that's settled. That's a lie. But you want to know the second lie that he tells you? The second lie that he tells you is play dead. See, the devil can't unsave you. He doesn't have that power because he can't put Jesus back in the grave. He doesn't have that power. And, and this is where you're like, well, if, if the devil knew that Jesus was going to come out of the grave, then why did he put him on the cross? Because the devil didn't know that. The devil thought he was winning by putting Jesus on the cross. And God's like, ha ha, watch this. I don't, I'm asking my commentary. Like. So the devil can't put Jesus back in the grave. And so therefore, he can't unsave you. But you know what he can do? He can make you act like you're unsaved. And what does he do? What's the second lie? He can't use you. You know what you did last night. You know what you did last week. He can't use you. I want you to understand something. That happens to me every Sunday morning before I come out to preach before every service. He starts lying in my ear. And you know what I say back? You're right. I don't deserve to do this. But Christ came out of the grave. So you don't get to tell me. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's Romans 8.1. We'll get to it in a few weeks. And you know what I do in response to that? I come out here and preach twice as hard. I make the devil pay for lying to me. I don't preach twice as long because y'all get upset about that stuff. I preach twice as hard. So here's the thing. Some of you are still dead in your sins and you need to trust Jesus. But some of you have trusted Jesus and you're playing dead. And you need to get in the game. And you need to step up and step into the future that God has for you. And you say, well, you don't know my past. I don't have to know your past because Christ is your past. All you need to know now that your past was nailed to the cross. And your purpose now is to join Jesus in the mission of spreading this gospel all over the world. So don't stay stuck in your past. Step into your purpose. 
And listen, everybody that's serving with you that you compare yourselves to, they are just as sinful as you. So quit reading the fake Facebook thing. Quit thinking about they are so much better than you. You see what I'm saying? They're justified by Jesus just like you. Same standing. And now you have the same grace available to you to join Jesus in his mission. Act what you are. You are dead to sin, but... mm, Do not play dead. Use these weapons that God has given you to join him in the mission of making disciples. And church, hear me. The more you do that, the more joyful you will be. Have you noticed that sinful, self-centered people are the least happy? Why is it that when you do something nice for others, something in you rises in joy Because God made you like that. Because God is a cheerful giver. So he loves cheerful givers. This is why when people are like, all that church wants my money. No, we want far more than that. We are not that shallow. We don't just want your money. We want your money. We want your marriage. We want your time. We want your talents. We want it all. Why? Because there's joy for you. When you join Jesus in the mission, I promise you, you will not waste your life. You won't. Look at verse 14. Oh, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Sin will have no dominion over you. Death has no dominion over Jesus, and so sin has no dominion over you. You're under grace, and what does that mean? Grace covers past, present, future sin. But what is grace? I tell you this often. It's not a license to keep on sinning because that would be dumb because it's wasting your life. Grace is now the power of God to get into the fight that he's called you to. Let me leave you with one last story. It's a true story. It's illustrated in John chapter 21. You don't have to turn there, but it's one of my most favorite stories in the Bible. If you know the story about a dude named Peter, Peter was a fisherman. And he was fishing for fish. That's what fishermen do. And Jesus one day shows up on the shore and he tells them, hey, throw your nets over there. And they're like, we've been fishing all night, bro. I don't know who you are. I mean, you're that carpenter dude. You deal with wood. We deal with water. And they catch all these fish. And then they come up and and Jesus tells Peter, you used to fish for fish. Now you're going to fish for men. Follow me. I'll make you. I'll make you. So he follows Jesus for three years. On the night Jesus was to be betrayed, Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter was like, no, 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 not me, Lord. No, Lord, I am with you, ride or die. I am with you. Again, I gangster up the Bible, but you should, all right? And so Jesus is betrayed three times. Peter denies Jesus. Don't you know that during those three days, all Peter could dwell on was those three times he denied Jesus. And in John 21, it tells us after Jesus was resurrected, he went back to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And where's Peter? He's out on the boat fishing for fish again. Peter Don went back to his old self. Jesus being Jesus shows up on the shore, starts a fire. He calls out, hey, y'all caught anything? Throw the net out on the other side. Who's this Gregor? They throw the net out. 
153 fish. John, who wrote it, says, that's the Lord. The Bible says, Peter, we don't know what it means. He was stripped down for work. I don't know what that means. I don't know. If he just, I don't know. It says he threw on some outer garments and he threw himself into the water. <laughs> just picture this. He's on the boat. Like, <laughs> that's what he did. And I, and I love what it says afterwards. They weren't that far, about a hundred yards. So Peter throws himself in the water and here they come. Take on Peter. And what does Jesus do with him? He says, come here, Peter. Do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Tend to my lambs. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Don't miss the significance. Three times, Jesus gives Peter to affirm the three times he denied. And what was he telling Peter? Quit wasting your life out there fishing for fish. I didn't make you for that. I didn't make you to waste your life fishing for fish. I made you, I saved you on the cross. I died for those three denials and now you get to walk in a newness of life. So put those nets down and you go start fishing for people. Don't be bound by your past because my past is your past now. Now you have a purpose. And then he tells him, this is how you're gonna die. And then in Acts chapter two, Peter stands up and preaches and he casts the net of the gospel and don't miss this, three thousand people trust Christ. That's being alive. See, if Peter would have stayed out on the boat fishing for fish, he would have been playing dead. But Christ was too powerful to leave him in his old self. And he says, now, come on, come join me in this mission. I got all authority now, man. I got all authority now. You think I listened to that that joker of, you think I listen to what he says about you? I know he accuses you, but you know what I say to him? I paid for it, shut your mouth. You join me. And here's what Peter, this is, this is Peter. In the story, I didn't even say this to other services, this is special. Right after that, you know what he says? What about him? What about John? This is what Christians do. What about him, Jesus? You know what Jesus says to Peter? What is it to you? You do what I told you. Quit nasal gaving around everybody else and what they're doing, comparing yourself to them. You go do what I made you to do. You go preach. You quit playing dead. We got work to do, homie. And my friends, that's what I'm saying to you. Because of Christ, you are no longer enslaved to your sin. You do not have to say yes to the things that kill you. Now, by the grace of God, you can say no to that. You can be dead to sin, but you can be alive to God. And you can present your members as weapons in this war. And we win, my friends. So let's fight. And let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that because of Christ, 
we have died to our old self. But God, there are some folks in here today or listening that have yet to know that truth. They don't believe that. And so God, I pray that you would right now by your Holy Spirit, open their eyes to see the truth of it. That you died to set them free. And they no longer have to obey the passions of sin and death and their flesh. But by grace, they can be saved through faith in Christ and set free. So I pray right now you'd save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted Christ and God has opened your eyes right now to see the truth, that's a miracle. That's regeneration. And you can respond in faith now by the power of the Holy Spirit and confess your sins and be saved. So if that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of confession. You can pray with me, not out loud, and it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me, forgive me, make me alive. Thank you for loving me. Nobody looking around or talking again as we respond. If you, if you just prayed to trust Christ for the first time, would you very simply just lift your hand up so we can see that? Just lift it up. Thank you. We got men and women walking around. going to put a gift in your hand. Don't be ashamed, man. The old you was ashamed. The new you is not. And when you get that gift, you can put it down. And then those of us who you've trusted Christ, but you have believed the lie that God can't use you. And you've been playing dead. You don't need to get saved again. You just need to act what you are. You are dead to sin. You are alive to God. So now, by the grace of God that comes to you through the power of the Holy Spirit that was put into you, don't let sin reign. You say, well, how do I do that? Ask him. Say, God, I really want to sin, but give me grace to not to. Help me to consider myself dead to that. And God, give me an outlet right now to use this this impulse, this desire I have in a way that glorifies you. And start joining Jesus in his mission. And the more that you're alive to God, the less that the pull of sin will have on you. The more you're alive to God, it'll be easier to be dead to sin. The best defense is a good offense. So go on the offensive and when Satan lies to you and says that there's no way that you should be doing that, you say, you're right, I shouldn't, but Christ, I will. God, would you grant this? Help us to be the kind of church that preaches good news, the good news about what you did, but help us to be also the kind of church that helps people grow in that good news. That they can say yes to the things that you have called us to do, which is to make disciples in all nations.
to join you in the making process. And thank you that we have that kind of church. And I pray that we will double down on being that kind of church. In Jesus' name, amen.